Turning your Bibles to John chapter 17, if you would, I just want to share with you for a few minutes this morning, we're going to get back into a series that we started some time ago called Presence. Presence and the benefit of God's presence and how we need to be presence driven. And I just want to, I just want to, um, I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about a subject that shouldn't be controversial, but it can be controversial, and it's only because the devil has made it that way. But I'm just going to read through this whole chapter, so I'm going to ask you to have a little patience, and let's just go through this chapter, John chapter 17. All right, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, I'm reading from the New King James Version. And the Bible says this, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you. And you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now, they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Watch this now. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. The King James says perfect in unity. 
and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me uh, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me and have declared to them your name. And I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. You know, it's interesting in the social media world that we live in today, there are a lot of opinions on how life should be lived and how we relate to each other. And togetherness and unity is not a natural concept, not true unity. It's not a natural concept for us. In fact, we look around in America and we see how we are and have for so many years struggled to live up to the name that we gave ourselves, these United States, we see that we have quickly become these divided states. We look at things like politics and socioeconomics and just thoughts of how life should be lived. Uh, even in the family, we see how divided that we are. And it's not just America. I mean, I've had an opportunity, as you know, to travel, as many of you uh, have, and I've seen it everywhere. I've seen divisions in politics. I've seen the same color and same culture people discriminate against each other. And so it's not just here where we see a lack of unity. As he is preparing for his death, he is preparing to be captured. And as he is preparing to be tortured and embarrassed, spat upon and ultimately crucified, Jesus offers us this prayer. This is the longest recorded prayer, I believe, that Jesus prayed. The last prayer before he goes to the cross. And in this prayer, he reveals the mindset of God. And I don't know that we fully receive the impact of what he's saying in this prayer because what he discloses in this prayer to the Father about his disciples is the power of unity. It's the power of unity. Notice some of the references in verse 11. You know, he says that uh, they may be one even as we are one. We look down in verse 21 that they may all be one. Over and over he says this in verse 22, that they may be one just as we are one. He begins verse 23, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, perfected together. His torrid concern in his prayer are that his followers emulate the oneness that he has with his own father. And you get this thought and, and, and you, you, you begin to understand when you really consume this prayer that it really could be life transforming. 
Loving Jesus, transforming lives, transforming prayer, that there is power in unity. There is power in unity. I remember a Peanuts cartoon years ago where Linus, I think, was watching television and Lucy said, hey, I don't want to see this program change the channel. And Linus said, what makes you think that you can just come in here and tell me to change the channel and I'll change it? She said, these five fingers. She said, separately, they don't mean much. But when I put them together, <laughs> they're a powerful influencer. <laughs> and Linus said, well, what channel do you want? <laughs> and turning away, he looked at his own hand and said, how come you guys can't get together like that? <laughs> There's power in unity. As we read this prayer uh, that Jesus prayed to his father, we could all agree that, that, that unity is powerful and that unity is needed. I don't think that's the problem that we understand that there is a need for unity. It's not the problem. The problem is that we either don't define unity the same way or more likely we have incorrectly assumed an understanding of what unity is. What unity is. See, the dictionary defines unity this way. It says that unity is the quality or state of not being multiple. A definite amount taken as one or for which one is made to stand in calculation. Now, it sounds like a great example of unity, a good definition of unity. And I would never come against Mr. Webster or Mr. Miriam uh, who put the words together so we can understand them. But I would submit to you this morning as Christians, this falls short of God's definition of unity so that we're not different. That's not what biblical unity is. Can I submit to you that this definition of unity is the one we as Christians really need to take. The, the, the definition in, 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 in the dictionary falls short because remember in verse 9 Jesus said, I do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me. So this definition of unity specifically applies to those that belong to him. He, he says, I, I want them to be one as you and I are one. So the unity he wants us to have is to be a replica of the unity he himself possesses with his own father. What is this unity? What does this unity mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? What is he trying to tell us here? Look back very quickly at, at, at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, he says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you, Father, have given me to do. Unity is multiple distinctive parts with a oneness in purpose. And that's where we fall short. We don't understand that unity is a oneness in purpose. Unity is multiple parts, different parts, but they all have the same 
purpose. He said, I have completed the work that you sent me here to do. Jesus and the Father were in unity. I, as I, I'm a sports guy, and I, I like to watch a lot of different sports. In fact, when we were over in India, we had to watch cricket because that was the national sport, and uh, soccer. And uh, but here, I, I love American football. And uh, so, when I watch the football game, one of the things that I see is I see these 11 uh, people lined up on one side and 11 people lined up on the other side. But the 11 people who are on offense, they're all different. You have a quarterback and that person is supposed to know where everybody's supposed to be and he calls the plays. You have a center. His job is to snap the ball to the quarterback, make sure he gets it safely and then to block whatever his assignment is. You have linemen and it's their job to block different people based on what the play is. And you have receivers. You have a slot receiver, a tight end, a wide receiver. You, you, and they all have different functions. They have to know their route. They have to know what they're supposed to do. My, my, where I'm going to run and be is not the same place you can be. We all can't be in the same place. You have a running back. You have all of these different people that do all these different things. But guess what? In the end, they're all trying to get to the same goal line. Their whole job is to get this ball across that goal line. We all have different jobs, different abilities, different assignments, but the same purpose. Because one can shine, but if we don't get this ball across the goal line, we all fail. And what we're not understanding about unity is that we can all be different. We all have different assignments, but our purpose has to be the same. And it can't be our purpose. Can't be the purpose that we make up. Unity is not sameness. It is distinctiveness. Going in the same direction in order to achieve a common purpose. Unity is purpose-driven, not people-driven. Unity is presence-revealed, not people-defined. I want to say that again because that's what really needs to get into our heart. Unity is presence-driven, not people-defined. And the reason why we can't get in unity is because we define what unity is. We try to define it. I think I know what unity is, and then I want you to get with me. Come on, because I, I know what it is. You believe you know what unity is, so you want me to get with you. But what we have to understand is, apart from sin, difference is absolutely critical. It's unquestionably essential, because God made us this way. God made us different. And it's eternally determined. So when you try to change people apart from sin, you're being more God in their life than God is. It's not our job to change people. It's our job to get on the same page going toward the same purpose. People are not supposed to be the same, but the issue of unity is not in changing the purpose, but in the clarifying of the purpose. That's the issue of unity. So if you can ever clarify the purpose and get all of the persons to achieve the legitimate purpose, then we will have unity of function while having distinction of personalities. Just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we don't fully understand. Oneness, 
Trinity. We, we apply all kind of words to it because we don't fully understand it. How can he be three in one? People who believe in the Trinity argue with people uh, who believe in oneness. And neither one of them fully understand the Father. Father says, I'm both. I'm Trinity, I'm oneness, I'm everything. I'm everything. I'm the everlasting Father. I'm your Father, I'm her Father, I'm everybody's Father. Come on. And so our, our job is to, to seek to understand, seek my face while I may be found, God is saying to us. You ever notice that, I don't know if anybody uh, likes classical music, uh, but I, I enjoy classical music and I, I love going to orchestral concerts. And one of the things that you see when you go to a concert is that you have all of these people playing different instruments and you get there early and you get your seat uh, whether you're going on Broadway to see Hamilton or whether you're going to see someone uh, in an opera or whatever it might be and, and you get your seat and you hear these noises. Sounds crazy. What are these people doing? Everybody's doing their own thing, tuning their own instrument and it, it sounds like discord. But then... Someone comes out, a woman or a man comes out, and they have their little stick. What's that stick called? The baton. Thank you. I think I'm a little, still a little sleepy from India, but the baton. Hits that baton there, raises it up, and everybody all of a sudden gets on one accord. Sounds like one note. All sorts of different instruments. They don't, check. They, they don't say, well, you know, the violin sounds too scratchy. Let's just all get a tuba. No, everybody's not a tuba. They stay who they are, but they all have one purpose. And here's the thing about unity. As I said, I think we define unity ourselves in our own mind and what unity should be. This is where we fall short. This is where we fall short. We have it backwards. Here's what I want to submit to you this morning. Is that we feel like if we can all get on one accord, we can all get on one accord, then it'll be like the book of Acts when they were in the upper room. We all get on one accord, we all pray together, uh, you know, we're all saying the same thing, then the presence of God falls. Partially correct. But see, nothing happens, no one gets on one accord without first the presence of God being recognized. You understand that, uh, first of all, we have to acknowledge and seek the presence of God. And when his presence comes, then his presence is what gets us together and on one accord in unity. We can't say, okay, hold on a second, God. Let us all, let us have a meeting. Let's get together. And when we get together, then you can come. We have it backwards, but that's what we think. That's the way we treat God. We have to first come saying, I surrender all. I surrender all. All, all. Lord, I don't know what unity is. Here's, here's what happens. I don't want to step on anyone's toes this morning, but one of the things that happens is we are who we are today, no matter how old you are or young. We are who we are today based on where we were brought up, 
what our parents taught us, what we've learned in school, our environment, what our friends uh, think and have told us, what we've seen on TV, what we've heard on the radio, and all of these factors come into play to make us who we are. And now all of a sudden, where we, whether we admit it or not, our worldview becomes uh, through these glasses of what makes us up. And so that's how I see the world. And it's, even, it's more than race and color. It's everything. Gender, every, we see the world that way. And God this morning is asking us, would you at least allow me to change your worldview? We think it's impossible because, you know, I've been on this earth a long time and uh, all this stuff has gotten in my mind. And I'm just the way I am and that's just the way I am. It's an excuse. It's an excuse. Because anyone that is in Christ, come on somebody, is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things, all things, all things have become new. So you can do it. You can allow God to change your world view. And it's not about seeing, uh, you know, it through white America, black America, India, whether you're dark or light or male or female or what, all the things you can think of. It's not about, it's about seeing it through the eyes of Jesus and Jesus alone. And until we get there, we'll never be in unity. I don't want to speak negative to you, but I'm just going to tell you. Somebody need to tell you. We'll never be in unity. Never. Remember, and, and it's not up to the world. They're doing what they're expected to do. Why are we so amazed at politics and economics and whatever happens in the world and, and, and robberies and or jail and all? Why are we so amazed at all this stuff? That they're doing exactly what their father is telling them to do. The father of lies. Jesus said in this particular prayer, he said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for you. Because if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will heal not just their land, I will heal the land. I will heal the land. He said, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the world. We should be amazed that we're not on one accord, not that the world is not on one accord. The world is chaos. Come on. And if we're going to get the world into the kingdom, we first have to understand it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God that gets us together. Here's, here's presence is this. Presence is a word that speaks to the demeanor, the countenance, or the air of a person who is present, who is there, who is visible, who is concrete in nature. We've got to begin to see God. God, God no longer, folks, can just be someone that's, oh, you know, it's, it's, uh, we sing a few songs and I really felt the spirit and he's off somewhere else. No, we, come on, we, come on, Christians. We, we got to, we have to begin to see God. Well, how do I do that, Pastor Mike? You have to, you have to first believe, you have to confess, and you have to open your heart to see him. You've got to take your worldview and set it aside. You've got to take your church view and set it aside. What you think church, don't, don't let my wife get on that. What you think church should be. We do church the way we think church should be. We probably have no idea. But we do the best we can, and that's okay. But we got to begin to set all those things aside and stop seeing 
life through the, these shaded glasses of what made us up. Offenses. We've been offended. We've offended people. We've been done wrong. We've done others wrong. All of these things build brick by brick and make us to who we are. But it's time for the presence of God to come in and shatter that wall. We want to use this word uh, in church talking about breakthrough. I want to tell you something this morning. Just this morning, I want to tell you this. Don't be selfish with the word breakthrough. Breakthrough today is not for you. I know you don't want to hear that in church. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound hard. Breakthrough today is not for you. Breakthrough today is for God's presence to come and break down all of those walls that divide us, that Satan has allowed us to, to, to build. That's where the breakthrough is this morning because when we get that breakthrough, our breakthrough doesn't matter. We're already there. See, we're trying so hard, button up against the wall, trying to get our breakthrough. And God has said, if you allow me, my presence will break through and break down all of those walls. And then you'll see me for who I am, not when you're changed in the twinkling of an eye. I'm not talking about Thessalonians when he comes back. I'm talking about right here, right now. God wants us to see him for who he is. And until that happens, we won't have true unity. God's presence demonstrates his desire to be with us. He wants this for us. He wants this for us more than we want it for us. He wants us to be in unity. Now let me just, let me just give you these four things. Here's how God's presence brings unity. It's not up to us to go get unity. We need to allow God's presence to do it. Here's how God's presence brings unity. First of all, his presence gives us a singular focus. No matter what you look like, no matter your gender, no matter your color, no matter your environment, no matter your upbringing, no matter who your parents were or what your teacher told you, no matter any of those things, God's presence comes in, his presence gives us a singular focus. Like Jesus said, I came into this world and I accomplished what you wanted me to accomplish. That has to be our mindset, a singular focus. What does God want me to accomplish? What does God want us to accomplish? It's purpose-driven. And then, number two, his presence gives us a singular vision. It allows us to see what God sees. And then we can say, oh, I remember being in India and we had a translator in one of the sessions that uh, I, was, I was speaking and I, was, uh, uh, I, I, would, I would say, uh, you know, certain things and then the translator all of a sudden, it, for me it would be about 10 seconds of words. And then all of a sudden, remember, the translator would just go on for maybe a minute and a half. And I would say, man, that's a, you know, I, uh, that's a lot of words for what I just said, you know. But okay, you know, and then I would go on and go on. And then all of a sudden, one time, I can't remember what it was, but I said something and the translator said, oh, as if, oh, that's what you're saying. And I was like, well, what did you think I was saying? <laughs> what have you been telling the people this whole time? But he got a revelation of what I was really trying to say. Now he had to go back and he took about three minutes and I'm sure undid all the other stuff he was saying and, and corrected everything, right? And so we, we need to see things the way God sees things. Allow God to give us a vision so all of a sudden we can say, oh, I see what you're saying, Lord. I see what you, I thought it was this way the whole time because all the time in church, that's all I heard. I heard the preacher say this and I did the Bible studies that said that. When I read the scripture, I, I thought it was this and I saw it in light of that. But oh, 
Oh, now I see what you're trying to say. Only his presence will do that for us. The presence of God. And in number three, his presence gives us a singular purpose. What are you trying to do? When I was growing up, we, we used to have this, uh, I don't know, a little saying in church, but I, and I think it was just more to, of a hype thing than it was anything else, but we used to say, I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise the Lord. Somebody need to say, I don't know what you come to do, come on, but I come to do what God wants me to do. That's the attitude we have to have. It gives us a singular, it gives us his purpose. Our problem is all of us have our own purpose. Yeah, God gives us a purpose. You are here for a purpose, absolutely. But that singular purpose has to outweigh and it has to be paramount to any other purpose that we have in life. Matthew 28 has to be, it has to overshadow everything else. Has to overshadow everything else. Matthew 28, 19. Come on. Gives us a singular purpose. And lastly, his presence gives us a singular source. A sing there, there, there's nothing like getting everything from the same source. You know, one of the things I noticed at, at being a, a musician is, trying to be a musician, is uh, you ever notice when a, a piano gets tuned? If someone were to come and to tune the piano, and now the piano's in perfect tune, if there's another piano that needs to be tuned, you know what? They don't go over to this piano and try to tune the other piano from this piano. They use the same tuning fork. It's the same source that tunes all the pianos. Now, if you do that and all the pianos begin to play, they're all the same. Different pianos, same purpose, because they had the same tuning source. We need to get the same tuning source. Stop looking to politics. Stop looking to the bank. Stop looking to the news. Stop looking to uh, programs. Stop looking to whatever it might be. All of those things can do nothing but support the purpose of God. God's purpose is not first. All of it is moot. It doesn't matter. His purpose has to be first. And I can't emphasize that to you enough. It has to be paramount in our lives. God, he made everything. He was here before it all started. He'll be here long after it all ends. And so when it's not just a saying to say it's all about him, all about him. But you think it's about you and I think it's about me because I got hurt and I got offended and I don't have what I think I should have. You got it and I didn't get it. Why is that? It's not fair. But God's saying, listen, it's all about me. Because just like when we, listen, little things. Just, just like, and this, I think this is what God showed me through this when we got upgraded. Uh, coming back on the airplane when we got upgraded. Wasn't looking for it. Uh, you know, in fact, uh, we were on our way home. So we were so tired, we could have probably sat in the back room with the luggage and may not have even uh, known. Just went to sleep. But God said, look, if you seek my presence, you press into my presence. Listen. All things are here for you to enjoy. I'll, let me worry about the upgrade. Let me worry about the upgrade. You just seek my presence.